Welcome to 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Each month, our hosts, Casey, Derek and Scott, take a look at the film catalogue of the legendary Hammer Films production, one picture at a time. Covering everything from the famous Hammer gothic horror films to their science fiction films, their thrillers, their film noirs and comedies, this podcast will offer critical opinion, production notes and historical facts about the films that make Hammer great. Make yourself comfortable, have a cup of tea, and welcome to 1951 Down Place. Welcome to 1951 Down Place, everybody. I'm one of your co-hosts, Derek, and it's my turn to open up the show this week. Scott and Casey will be along shortly, and this month we're very excited because it is our listener pick month. Once a year here on 1951 Down Place, well, we have a tradition. We open it up to the fans. On Facebook, we start a poll and we ask you guys and gals what movie from Hammer's back catalog you'd like us to cover. And... You've taken away our punchline. Four-Sided Triangle is our movie this month. Now, we know that not everybody has access to all the movies that we cover here on 1951 Down Place. Fortunately, Hammer actually has an official YouTube channel. So if you go over to YouTube and look up Four-Sided Triangle, you can find the movie. I'm going to do that right now. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. What in the hell is... What? What do flowers know about love anyway? Okay, wait a minute. This can't be right. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Sure to arouse the sickies amongst you to some heavy breathing. A tale I call Four-Sided Triangle. All right. As awesome as it would be to imagine the Crypt Keeper appearing on 1951 Down Place, I don't think this episode from the second season of Tales from the Crypt is really quite the same thing. So I'm just going to bookmark this video and come back to it later because I haven't watched Tales from the Crypt in forever. But before that, we're going to dive into this geometrically challenged four-sided triangle from Hammer Films from 1953 right after this. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? (laughs) People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something from archive.org and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Well, why don't you click over to orphan-entertainment.jonja.net and remind yourself a little more about the show. <laughs> Will do. So let's see. That's orphan-entertainment.jonja.net. Hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie sometime? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. This is Victor Von Psychotron, host of Weirdo Rama, and you are listening to 1951 Down Place, the place for Hammer Film knowledge on the web. That's Haldim, our village. A couple of hundred houses and cottages, less than a thousand people living in them, 
with nothing remarkable ever happening. There's the church, early perpendicular, the vicar calls it, the commons with the cricket pitch, the crown and anchor where we all have our pints in the evenings, Mr. Dean's general shop and post office, and there's the manor, Grant House, where 15 generations of Grants have lived and died, worked and fought and served their king and country. And there's the squire, Sir Walter Grant, hoping to bring home a pheasant or two for supper. Sir Walter is proud of his well-kept estate, but proudest of all of his son and heir, Robin. And that's Mrs. Leggett. Her husband was the village drunkard. We have our share of men and women who turn their own lives into nightmares, but Leggett was the prize specimen. He had a son too, name of Bill, but he wasn't proud of him at all. My name is Harvey, Dr. Harvey. Most people call me Doc, meaning no disrespect, I hope. Longtime listeners of the show, as well as longtime fans of Hammer films, know that Hammer wasn't just a horror studio. They did comedies, they did action adventure movies, thrillers, and they did some science fiction movies before they really got into the color gothic horror films that they're known for today. And the movie that we're talking about here on this month's episode of 1951 Down Place is one of those science fiction movies. It's 1953's Four-Sided Triangle, which was the winner of the listener poll this year. So thanks to you guys and gals, we are covering this movie on this episode of the podcast. I'm Derek, and as always, I'm joined by Casey and Scott. How's everybody doing? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Well, longtime listeners of 1951 Downplace also know that Four-Sided Triangle has been a butt of a lot of jokes around here. I was wondering about that yesterday while I was finishing up the movie. I don't remember the genesis of this. Do you remember why we started making fun of this movie or why it became the punchline? No. And the odd thing is, I don't think any of us had seen it before watching it for this episode. I think it just, <laughs> yeah. the absurdity of the title, maybe, I don't know. But it, but we haven't done it in a while. It seems that there's another movie that Derek has been championing that's taken over that role. I don't know what you're talking about. She has returned in our time to make two worlds meet in vengeance. The vengeance of she. Oh, you want to watch that one too? That's awesome. I have a feeling that we may be next July. <laughs> then my plan is working. But that's next year. We're talking about four-sided triangle now. This was a first time viewing for you, Scott, and for me and Casey. Was this a first time for you? Yeah, yes, it was. Did you like geometry in school? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Do you like gladiator movies? That's not where I was <laughs> going with that. But I, I was commenting on the, I was going off of the absurd title you were talking about, this four-sided triangle. It sounds odd. It sounds science fiction-y. It's kind of a love story thing going on. There's a love triangle with four participants. Oh, three and a half. Well, by the time movie's over. Yeah, well. Okay, so this came out in 1953. Uh, we, like we've said, or like I said at the beginning of this, Hammer had done a number of different types of movies before they really got into their horror mode with Frankenstein. And Four-Sided Triangle is kind of viewed by some as a precursor to their Frankenstein films. I can kind of sort of see that. There's, I'm not going to say mad science going on, but there are some scientists doing some pretty crazy wackadoodle things happening in the movie. It's directed by Terrence Fisher, who is the man who brought the Frankenstein and the Dracula films to Hammer to begin with. I mean, he was there at the beginning 
Well, you've also got um, some of the the great set work. I think this is one of the strongest points of this film. When we go straight to sets, is that a problem? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the things that the Hammer, uh, especially the, the Frankenstein films are known for, is those awesome sets for the mad scientist. And there's a, a really good one in this film. You're talking about the barn? Yes. The barn's pretty cool. Now, this is not a Bernard Robinson project. He had not been added to the Hammer fold, or if he had, he wasn't working on this one yet. So it doesn't have the... I want to go in there and play in it kind of feel that like Frankenstein's lab has. But yeah, I, I like that little lab setup. It's kind of cool. I don't know if I believe that they can do all that in a barn, but <laughs> so it's kind of a cool setup. And I, I love some of the camera work and the lighting in the barn, especially later in the film when they're doing some of their experiments and, and doing their duplication. Sure. But yeah, it, it does put up a, a red flag right now if we're immediately going to the sets and the lighting, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, well, it was directed by Terrence Fisher, who we like. I mean, we like Terrence Fisher here on, on Down Place. He's one of the mainstays, I suppose, of some of the best camera films in their catalog. As far as where the story came from, it's based on a novel by William F. Temple, and Hammer was doing this. So here's a, a brief history, kind of looking at the pre-color Hammer side of things. So Hammer Productions, they weren't known as Hammer Film, but Hammer Productions started uh, back in the 30s. And then they stopped film production because of the war, but they still wanted to keep making movies, and that's where Exclusive came from. Exclusive was their distribution arm, and for a little while there, Hammer wasn't putting their name on their movies, Exclusive was. And this is one of those films that came out in that period between the time Hammer Productions and Hammer Film Productions became the main production arm of the studio. Exclusive still is around today. In fact, some of the new Hammer films have been released under the exclusive label. So Exclusive is still going to be part of the Hammer, I don't know, arm branch company label. I don't know how best to describe it as it exists now. But back then, that's kind of how it was working. Exclusive was doing the Dick Barton at Bay films. They did things like this. They did some of the film noirs, uh, Stolen Face, Flanagan Boy, things like that. And Exclusive was behind this one as well. Now, their model back then was to do original productions in the UK and typically bring over one American star or starlet actor or actress who was cheap. You know, they could put on the credits or put in the credits, put on the poster, sell to an American audience because they knew they were going to distribute in America as well, but not break the bank on them. And that's where poor Barbara Payton came from. Now, this was not the only Hammer film she did or exclusive film she did. She did one of the film noirs, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point here on Down Place. But she's our, our big American name. Did she charge by the hour? I don't know. Not for this. <laughs> probably not for this film, but maybe later in life. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that insultingly. I, she had a rough time of it. She she was a hard drinker. She, um, I think she came from a family of drinkers, If I, the research I did. Yeah, she could have benefited from an intervention or two, as could her family. She had a really tough time of it. Died young. Four marriages. Uh, one of those marriages spun out of an event in which the two men she was seeing one beat the hell out of the other and left him in a coma it was a mess and it's unfortunate it's sad but yeah it's it's just one of those things you know she was able to get some work over in the uk did some hammer films uh this was shortly after she had done i believe it was the bride and the gorilla with raymond burr 
So her star was already fading in, you know, stateside. Yeah, that was fifty one, the bride and the gorilla. Yeah, which I've actually seen. Go figure, and, <laughs> and kind of sort of enjoy for what it is. It's a completely different kind of speculative fiction than this one is. But <laughs> Bride of the Gorilla with Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney, Raymond Burr, and Tom Conway. The dramatic story of a strange curse that brought terror to a man and frenzy to a woman in love. Yeah. You know, to go back to Scott's charge by the hour comment, she was arrested at least once for prostitution. So, yeah, she had a rough time of it. Lots of affairs, drug abuse, bright and bad checks. <laughs> Not necessarily in the, that order. Anyway, she's the lead in this movie. And as this movie was playing, Brenda was doing some work. My wife, Brenda, was doing some work in the living room. And we're going to talk about this, I'm sure. There are some moments in this movie where it's very, well, you're the woman and I'm the man and I know what's best for you. You know, this is kind of, yeah. you know, this is a, a downplayed woman character. The female character is not very strong. And Brenda's kind of laughing and, and making comments about that. And I'm cringing a little bit. But I did say to her, you know, if you knew anything about Barbara Payton in real life, she probably did need somebody to kind of keep her <laughs> and tell her what to do and think. Would have been better for her long term. Not saying a man needed to do it, but somebody needed to take control. Well, a lot of that could have been a uh, just a product of the time. You know, when, oh, I'm when sure. When this film was made. I'm sure if it was made today, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be like that. It would actually probably be closer to the original book, which I did read as... Uh, work up to this episode her character is vastly different in the book she's a lot more of a free spirit so we'll, i'll get to more of the the differences uh when we start talking about the movie but yeah she's the character is different in the book well that's good to know it makes me a little bit more interested in the story the original story because her <laughs> character in the movie is very i mean she's a cipher she's empty she's just kind of there to move the plot along it's unfortunate. I actually like her character when she's a kid in the very beginning of the movie more than I liked her as an adult. Then you may not have liked the book. <laughs> oh, really? Did they ch- change that? Oh, the whole beginning has changed. They're, the kids aren't in the book. That's all completely added for the movie. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of the Hammer productions or exclusive productions were based on previously produced or released material. Whether it's based on a novel, based on a BBC production, that sort of thing. So I don't know the journey from novel to film. I don't know how they got their hands on this book. According to the IMDb, the original author had nothing to do with the production of the movie. It was adapted by Paul Tabori and Terrence Fisher himself. I'm sure Fisher was drawn to the story or at least made the story this very fairy tale like thing. I mean, we talk a lot about how Terrence Fisher approached these movies as if they were fairy tales for adults. And in this film, it definitely has that heavy-handed, almost too heavy-handed, fairy tale morality play kind of thing going on, right down to having the narrator at the very beginning telling us this story. It felt very fairy tale-like to me, more so than in any of the Frankenstein films or anything else he did. Well, the, the idea of the narrator, the, the doctor character, is from the book as well. It's all The book is told mostly through his remembrance of the events, just like the movie is. It's a Dr. Harvey, or Doc, which he doesn't mind being called Doc. Tells the story played by James Hader. Outside of Barbara Payton and one other character in this, so I don't know much about the cast. I don't really know much about what James Hader's background. I mean, he seems like a seasoned actor. 129 credits on IMDb. A lot of that might have been television or voice work is what I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of British television. But there is one person in the cast who would turn up later 
in one of the color gothic films, and that's John Van Essen, or Eisen, who's going to play uh, Harker in Horror Dracula. And he plays one of the three points, four points of the triangle. And he plays Robin in this film, and the other male lead is Stephen Murray playing Bill. We talked about Barbara Payton. We talked about James Hader. Really, it's a small cast. And, and a lot of these people, they did a lot of, there was a lot of British television that they did. They're not as well known on this side of the pond, I guess. It's a good way to put it. It's a pretty small story. It's a pretty small cast. Not very many people to really latch on to. So much so that Scott and I were talking off mic. Did you ever find a connection, a James Bond connection? Um, no, no James Bond connection. So we'll need to kill that music. But I did find a Disney connection putting on my um, Disney Indiana hat. and Does it uh, have mouse ears? It does have mouse ears. Of course it does. <laughs> I think I actually got, I think I actually found this connection myself. Really? Oh, I'm yeah. excited now because it means I wasn't paying close enough attention. Casey, if you got this connection, I will be very impressed. The connection that I have for the Disney connection is one of the two children, Sean Barrett. Now, Sean Barrett played Robin as a child who uh, Robin was uh, John Van Essen's character. Sean Barrett has gone on to do a lot of voice work, and he was the voice of TikTok in Return to Oz. Wow, Scott. Wow, that's, that's not the one I thought. Wow. He was also, um, to expand on the Disneyverse and to go into the Muppets, or to Jim Henson, he was in the Dark Crystal as well. What did he do in the Dark Crystal? In the... Uh, Dark Crystal. He was Urza, one of the I think one of the prophets. So more voice work. More voice work. Yep. Okay. Unfortunately, could not find a James Bond connection, especially on screen. That's Disney connection for this film. So Casey, what did you find? Well, I'm looking back now, and it turns out that my um, I'm confused on my connection because I see one thing in the picture on a, on the title picture on IMDb, but once I dig into it, I don't think it's actually the Disney version. But if you look at the actor that played Bill, Stephen Murray, was a, a voice in Alice in Wonderland, but it was the 1949 Alice in Wonderland, not Disney's 1951. Although I think somebody got confused because if you look at the cover of this version of Alice in Wonderland, it says Walt Disney's Alice in Wonderland, but I'm not sure that that's the same movie. It is not. The, it's not. Uh, the 1949 version that uh, Stephen Murray was in is a British production. Well, there you go. So that was my confusion. Huh. Yeah, but he, was right. al- he almost made it. I got nothing. yeah he played lewis carroll in that yep production huh but yes that's that's not that's not the disney version and that's why scott finds these connections and not me i don't even have a a a nice try or failed attempt here so we're (laughs) you're ahead of me (laughs) shall we dive into the film okay we can do that so the film uh starts off uh showing a english countryside there's some gothic lettering on the field on the screen that says God hath made man upright, but they have sought out too many inventions. Bum bum bum. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we're taking taken into the small little town of Hardline, which is somewhere in England. I'm not sure exactly where Hardline is, if it's even a real town. So I'm hopefully somebody on that side of the pond can in, let me know if it's an actual real little place. And uh, we're introduced to uh, Doc Harvey, Dr. Harvey, the uh, James Hader, who's the town's physician. My name is Harvey. 
Dr. Harvey. Most people call me Doc, meaning no disrespect, I hope. At the time my story commences, I had been looking after the people of Howdeen for ten years. I brought their babies into the world and watched their old and their sick die. Learning that pity is for the living and envy for the dead. As he's going through town, he, he talks about meeting certain characters that had a big influence on the town, uh, including this farmhouse, which when you see it first is charred and, and ruined. But he said, the first time I saw it, it was like this. And then they show it normally and he goes in and we meet the three main uh, characters, the three points of the triangle, so to speak. And they are playing uh, kings and swords and queens and fighting with them. Ah, yes. That old childhood game of kings and swords. (laughs) I don't know exactly what you call it, but they were (laughs) pretending they were royalty and knights. And And she was the queen. She was the queen. And uh, the two kids, we have uh, Robin and Bill, who are fighting with wooden swords and paper hats and trash can lids for shields. And she's up on her little throne. You know, watching the whole thing. The doctor just kind of stands in the doorway, just just watching them. <laughs> These kids are beating each other with sticks. This is so funny. And hard so wor- what's the worst that could happen? I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor. I'm going to get some shillings out of this, I'm sure. <laughs> I actually like this little bit because, man, Lena's kind of a manipulative little snit yes. in this. She seems – there's that one look that she casts through the camera. That's just this evil little mean little girl thing, man. I didn't like little girls growing up because they were evil, man. And <laughs> this little girl was evil. I might have just revealed a little bit about myself. I didn't mean to. But little <laughs> girls are, are evil little creatures. No offense to any little girls listening to the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she basically tells them that they have to fight for her affection. And they start to go at it. And... um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for kids playing. And eventually Robin beats Bill or beat Sir Robin beats Sir Bill who has to yield. And then they have another little ceremony where, you know, she comes out with his laurel wreath to put on Robin's head and then talks him up and then they give a little kiss. And then <laughs> Bill gets this oak leaf crown and she just kind of sticks her hand out like, you know, kiss the hand. <laughs> Kiss it, Nave. <laughs> yep. And then, of course, Bill kisses kisses her hand and then runs away crying. I, I'm sorry. I had just seen some Monty Python recently, and I'm like, wait a minute. It's it's Sir B- Robin that's supposed to brave oh, Sir Robin no. run away. Brave Sir Robin run away. No. Bravely ran away, away. I didn't. When danger reared its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail. No. Just brave Sir Robin turned about. But no, no, it's, it's Bill. Who oh, no. <laughs> so I thought the kids did fine acting here, except when Bill and Lena had to kiss. The kid playing Bill seemed so unhappy about that whole shot. He just like, oh, girls have cooties, oh, yeah. you know, this horrible. Like, this is the worst thing they could ask me to do. We got Bill. He goes running off. He runs right by the doctor. The doc uh, says that he should go after him, but she's, he's not going to interfere because he wasn't asked. And <laughs> Robin and Lena then 
run out of Because as a doctor, you don't help anybody unless somebody asks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, you know, very important. <laughs> and Robin and Lena, they run out and they chase after Bill to have him come back. You know, that, that's our introduction to the three points of the triangle. And scene. And scene. Uh, the doc, through voiceover, he tells us a little bit about uh, the characters. Uh, we learn that Robin comes from money, basically. His father is very rich. Uh, he actually starts, at one point, a plastics company in town. He's he's very intelligent. No, I'm sorry. This is, Yeah, Robin. He's very intelligent. It's coming from the, the money. We learned that basically Lena's pretty, but not a whole lot more else about her. She's pretty. She's pretty. But uh, then the doc spends more time talking about Bill. Bill's father is a drunkard who I think is killed in a bar fight when, when Bill's young. A little later, um, Bill has a injured to his wrist. He comes to see the doctor. The doctor's examining him thinks it's a sprain and then bill starts saying no i think it's a a hairline fracture of the you know he starts naming off all the terms which really surprises the doc and so he ends up taking the boy to the hospital for x-rays and the doc is impressed with bill once kind of mentor him for a little while because he's obviously very intelligent but coming from a, a rough home bill's mom passes away and the doc basically becomes his guardian and at one point, Doc says he quickly uh, outpaces me in knowledge. You know, I'm trying to teach him, and he zooms past me. That felt like uh, Shades of Frankenstein. Because yes. in Curse of Frankenstein, there's uh, I was brought in as a tutor, and then as he grew up, he's teaching me things, you know? The way they showed this, that you know, that Bill had out, outpaced the doctor as far as his learning and stuff, made the doctor look like not very much of a doctor. Just because they showed the kid reading a couple books, and, he, and they said he was much smarter than me at a young age. And then it's kind of like, well, doctor, how much did you actually know? It doesn't seem like <laughs> Well, he was a small town doctor, a little. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be really uh, technical about it, you know, it's like, well, Bill could read, so he's already surpassed the doctor. <laughs> Bill and Robin become like the best of friends even though they come from different backgrounds that are both intelligent. Bill obviously is the more intelligent, but they become friends. Lena's mother takes Lena back to America, so she kind of leaves the picture for a little while. The two boys grow up. Uh, they go off to Cambridge, and uh, the <laughs> you get this scene of the, the doc wandering the countryside, and he's pining for Bill to come back. <laughs> I felt lonely when Bill had left. For five years, he had been my whole life. He had all the qualities that a plodding GP might dream of possessing. He was born to do great things. I knew I could never achieve that. He would instead of me. Every afternoon when surgery was over, I climbed the hill and looked down at our village, where nothing ever happened. And as the years passed, as I waited for Bill to come home, I began to think that nothing ever would happen. How did it go? There is often less danger in the things we fear than the things we desire. I should have remembered that. Now that's kind of creepy. Uh, that's exactly what I thought. That was a little too wistful <laughs> yes. as he walked the countryside tapping his pipe on things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, you know, and I know we're making, you know, cheap jokes at this fact, but they really frame this to where in a typical if it was this was a typical romance movie or, you know, some kind of romantic comedy or something like that. It would be when the love stricken female lead 
which was pining wistfully over her lost love that had been taken away from her. Yeah, this should be Lena pining over one of the two boys had gone off to Cambridge, but no, she's back in America. Yeah, this, but that's exactly how they wrote this segment for the doctor. It was just weird. Yeah. It, it, well, this whole setup is a little bizarre. I mean, there's that, and like you were saying, the boy, I sure wish he was... Spe- it's just so... It's not real. There's something... I, I don't want to say fairy tale like because I know I keep harping on that, but there's... It's just not real. There's something weird up, you know, just off. Yeah. Anyway. Well, a couple more years passed, and the adult Lena comes back into town. Uh, we find out that her her mom has passed away. Lena has just had dead ends at everything she's she's tried to do. Nothing's worked out for her, and she's pretty much uh, pessimistic about life. Literally about life. She's come into town. She tells the doc that she's going to sell off all of her mom's possessions and that she's going to be able to to live probably three or four more years on that. And then she will end her life, basically. That was dark. That was dark. (laughs) Yeah. And the doc is just mortified of, of anybody contemplating suicide. And she As he should be. <laughs> <laughs> and but his idea though, his his thing is, oh, the boys are back in town. You know, they've set up shop in this old barn. Now let's be honest. Scott's editing this episode of, of Down Place. Did you say that just so he could drop the music in there? I was gonna say <laughs> if you don't put the, drop that song in there, I'm gonna be disappointed. <laughs> was that by design? <laughs> I wish I was that clever, but no. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to put the music in though, right? <laughs> oh, but yes, uh, the doc <laughs> mentions that the, the boys are back from Cambridge. They're set up shop in this old barn. They're they're doing experiments. Maybe you should go and see them. So right then they decide to to head out to the barn where both the boys are thrilled to see Lena once again. Now, as we said, Lena is only got maybe four months of money left. So she's not doing anything, doesn't have a job. The doc suggests that uh, maybe Lena could work around here and pick up things, make dinners, make sure they get to bed on time. Like, <laughs> yeah, the grown men. <laughs> yes. Make sure they get to bed on time. I was going to say, this is the one part of the movie where they actually, this is like the only time in the movie that they actually tried to do any kind of character development with any of these characters, which is part of my problem with this movie. And because it's nothing more than an info dump and they just kind of throw it out there and gloss over it. So they try to build these character development for the boys and where the doctor mentions that they've bought this barn and they're working on it and they built a couple bunks in there so they could even sleep there and stuff and they hardly ever eat and everything like that just to try and show you how into their science that, you know, that they are. But there is, these characters are also paper thin that that's the only time in the entire movie that they tried to give them any kind of personality, which I thought was frustrating. Along the way, making sure that we understand that that poor woman, she don't know nothing. Einstein, who's that? Yeah. What are all of these contractions? Well, that'd be rather hard to explain. Most of them have just been invented. They haven't got any proper names yet. <laughs> what Bill means that he isn't sure yet that it'll work. A few weeks more, we'll be able to give a demonstration that'll speak for itself if it comes off, and I'm sure it will. They'll both pretend it's doubtful. The theory's watertight. Oh, it all sounds terribly mysterious, and I'm afraid quite above my head. 
Well, you see, you'd have to study Einstein. And who is Mr. Einstein? She, at first, declines their offer to come work for them. But she quickly changes her mind, and she starts working for him. And the doc says, you know, things were going great. She was making sure that they got to bed and getting the food that they needed and running errands. And eventually she became uh, a little bit of helping him build the things, even though she didn't quite understand what was going on. You know, we get this montage of her helping out doing different things and what the doc doing a voiceover saying how well everything is working out. She even finds out or realizes who Einstein was. Yes. At one point she does. I know that band now. Now, later we get uh, Robin uh, and the doctor going to see uh, Robin's father, Lord Grant, to get more money. He's already given them a thousand pounds, but now they need another thousand pounds to keep working on this project. But Lord Grant, he's like, you know, I'm not going to throw good money after bad since there's no results. And really, you know, I wanted my son Robin to take over my business, so I'm not going to give you any more money. Doc and Robin leave, but the doc says, um, keep working. Don't tell Bill that you didn't get the money. I'm going to help you out. And he goes off and sells his practice to get money to help the boys continue on with uh, their experiment, even though the doc has no idea what's going on. The relationship is so, I don't know. It's just, it's not, again, I'm going back to this. It's just not real. You guys are doing crazy science in the barn, but you're not going to tell me what it is? Oh, I'll finance it. Sure, boys, no problem. We'll hook you up with a woman to take care of you. It just seems very not real to me. Yeah. Well, the only thing that it seemed real to me is because I got the impression that the doc saw himself as Bill's father, at least his father figure, and he wanted his son. He's doing the fatherly thing. He's wanting his son to succeed so he's helping him out even though he doesn't understand what his son is doing he's taking that role on i'm pretty sure at one point in the movie he actually refers to himself as bill's father yeah in some kind of context he mentions that i've been like a father to you or something to that extent so yeah, yeah. that's definitely well now it's still a lot though still in the practice and all that oh <sighs> yeah yeah i i definitely agree but then this is is probably one one of the best scenes in the movie is this montage of them doing science, even though <laughs> yeah. you get the, the bubbling beakers, you've got, uh, you know, soldering a whole time. They're smoking like chimneys and you, <laughs> you got a scene with them just passing out from exhaustion, Lena tucking them into bed because they're just working so hard, but it was kind of just this big montage of them all working mm-hmm. This montage made me think of uh, Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. Yes. <laughs> Larry Blamire having, you know, doing science for science because I'm a scientist. Well, the next thing we've got Lena, she goes to see the doc and the doc is telling them they should take a break. They've been working too hard that maybe they should go off on a, you know, take a long weekend for a vacation or something. Conveniently, the phone rings and uh, it's a call for Lena and uh, the boys tell them that they're done. It's it's ready. Like, Lena had no idea how far along they were at all. They weren't telling her anything at all. She's too busy making their beds and <laughs> making them dinner. <laughs> One of the things I thought is, you know, the doc just gave them a bunch of money. Shouldn't they tell him too? But, oh, well, <laughs> they tell Lena instead. Yeah. 
So the Doc and Lena run off to the barn, and uh, now they have this. What when I first looked at it, it looked like they had two old jukeboxes set up there. You know, the old glass top type jukebox. Now it's they're ready to show the Doc what it is, and the Doc's still like, you know, what is it? And they say it's the reproducer. And that he would explain it to the doc, but, you know, Bill's saying it's, you know, way too technical. And they start naming off a bunch of scientists. Just, I think they went to the who's who of scientists and pulled out a bunch of names. <laughs> and they all start rambling them off. And this is where Lena, when Einstein's mentioned that she's like, I know who that is now. So they ask the doc for something that they can duplicate. And uh, he gives him his pocket watch. They go over and uh, they put the uh, the pocket watch in one of the jukeboxes, and then we have a lot of flipping switches, turning dials, different things going off. Uh, all th- all three uh, the the two boys and Lena are all manning a different workstation type thing, and they're all yelling out all, all these numbers. You know, Bill's kind of in charge because he's he's reading out the numbers, and both uh, Robin and Lena are answering him by changing the dials. He finally yells, full power, and then there's a bright light from the second jukebox, the other display thing. (laughs) And then they all go running over to it, and there's another pocket watch. Science! (laughs) It's a perfect match all the way down to some bent links in the chain. What got me is, and now I'm going to go into my Star Trek geekiness, because Bill then explains that they found Uh-oh. a way to create matter from energy. They've created a replicator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gee, oh, Gray, hot. That's basically well, hey, what somebody had to invent the replicator for Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say it isn't this guy? <laughs> Might have been Sir Bill and Sir Robin. Why not? But yes, they have, for years, we've taken matter and converted it to energy by burning it or whatever. We found a way to take energy and convert it into matter. Basically, That's not it. how that works. <laughs> that, I mean, <laughs> I know who Einstein is, and I know that's not how that works. But that's what they said they've done. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and what I think is great is because now they, they say they can reproduce anything. Lena's first thing is she's like, oh, we can do rubies and diamonds and precious metals. And Robin, his suggestion is, works of art. Every house can have a gorgeous painting or sculpture. Everyone can enjoy art. And then Bill, obviously, probably from a lifetime of growing up with the doc, his, his suggestion is we can uh, do costly drugs. Every, every hospital and doctor will have all the drugs that they need. I just thought it's really telling some of their personality, some of the things that they talk about right away the, to or, or lack thereof yes we can make diamonds and ruby oh boy. yeah <laughs> so they uh then go they get robin's father because uh, the doc suggests that you know maybe we should since he was a initial backer of it maybe we should bring him in to see what's going on and what i, I thought it was hilarious that they they get him to write a blank check to and endorse it and now we're going to duplicate the blank check because one blank check isn't enough. Right. <laughs> and, and what I also thought, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but did you notice that all the, the two boys and the girl, they were all dressed up at this point? They were in suits and, you know, everything. It was almost like they were doing a sales pitch to Sir Walter. I didn't notice that. <laughs> 
So and they, a whole hell of a lot of smoking. Yes. <laughs> well, I did notice that through the whole thing. That made thing. my lungs hurt just to watch. <laughs> but they, they go through the whole magic jukebox. Magic jukebox thing again where they're doing the duplication thing. Uh, the doc is real excited when they see the, the, the duplicate check, but Sir Walter, he's very confused. He's got a really good confused face going. So he looks at the two checks and he explains that the, they're not in the forgery, or Bill says, we're not in the forgery business, but we can reproduce anything. And of course, Sir Walter suggests the next course of action would be to do nothing. The government may be worried. They may be watching us now. Because <laughs> he's he's thinking that Oh no, we could duplicate atom bombs and guns and missiles and we should not do anything right now. We should contact the government. And uh, Robin says, "Okay, but you know, we'll have a couple conditions. Uh they want to be able to do their work undisturbed somewhere and uh he wants a better lab and some things to reproduce." Sir Walter suggests that they contact his brother Sir Henry who is an undersecretary of something in the government. They don't really say what he does, but he's in the government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call the government. They're going to... Yeah. No. Yeah. no. <laughs> so now uh, we get a scene where Doc and Bill are back at Doc's house, and Bill admits that he's fallen in love with Lena. She's his whole world, but he's never told her he's scared. Uh, he doesn't want to be rejected, and uh, he has Doc to probe her. That that that's the word he uses too. Exactly isn't it? the word. Will he you uses. probe her for me, Doc? Yeah. <laughs> wow, really? I mean, I know we're kind of bringing our own juvenile, <laughs> you know, whatever to the table here. But and this is where the, the relationship between Doc and Bill gets weird to me. Is Okay, I, I get you've adopted and whatever. You know, I've seen Follow Me Boys. Here's a Disney connection. I get the adopting somebody and making whatever. I get that. It's a stretch, I know. But, boy, she sure is pretty. Will you find out if she likes me, too? Would yeah. Dad? Dad, would you pass really? her a note after study hall? <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not one of the things that you involve your father figure in, I don't think. No. Do you and, like and if you do, it's a yes little. Yes or no? I know, and it's <laughs> creepy. <sighs> but the doc says he'll wait for the right moment. Of course, I'll yes. probe her for you, yeah. son. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> More Monty Python. <laughs> uh, well, he doesn't get a chance to really probe her because. Yeah, we have this big fancy dinner party <laughs> where we um, actually get to meet uh, Sir Henry, Sir Walter's brother, who's there. They're toasting the invention. They're talking about it and. Bill, he's kind of bored with the with it now. He's he's wanting to go off and do something else. He's one step away from crying and running away again. Yes, <laughs> Sir Walter makes a speech about the importance of the duplicator, and Lord Grant he basically says, you know, let's let's tell the government uh, about this. Let's go through Sir Henry and let the government do what they want with it. Well, after dinner, Lord Grant tells Bill that uh, all the documentation should be put into a safe place, and he wants to take it to London and have it studied. We, at this point, Robin and Lena, they must have been out on the veranda or something, because they come in, they're all smiles, and they announce their engagement. 
and Bill, I mean, crestfallen isn't the right word. He's just, you could just see the life drain from his face when he hears that. Oh, he's devastated. Poor Bill. Poor Bill. And he does whisper to the doc that it was a good thing that he didn't tell Lena about his feelings. And then he goes over and congratulates them and then runs away crying. I mean, uh, leaves the room. (laughs) I think at one point, doesn't Lena, isn't there a look of recognition on her face that she realizes that Bill had feelings for her too at this point? Yes, I think she, she thought that as well. Yeah, she caught on. But then we see Robin and Lena on their wedding day, running out of the church. There's all these people that we haven't seen the entire movie, but they're there for the wedding. And uh, Bill kind of like, eh, whatever, and waves and, as they get in the car and they leave. Now, at this point, we're like a good 45 minutes into this film, 50 minutes, and we haven't even got to the gist of what this film is about in the four-sided triangle. Which seemed kind of odd to me. I thought they would have brought this in a lot sooner. The doc goes out to the to barn looking for Bill because Robin and Lena are off on their honeymoon. We see Bill burying something in the backyard. Don't know what it is, but he's he's burying something. But the Bill seems really happy to see the doctor there. He basically tells him that he's ready to try or he's been experimenting on duplicating living things now. And uh, he talks about how that he had duplicated a guinea pig about a week ago, and it didn't live. And Bill needs the doc's help, because he needs that doctor there to help come up with an idea to keep the, the duplicate alive. He needs something called an auto-injector, or auto-jector, or some piece of medical equipment that I'm not even sure what that is. I've never heard of one. Well, you're not a scientist, Scott. (laughs) If you knew more about who Einstein was. Maybe. Do you guys know what this thing is that that he was wanting? No. But I'm not a scientist either. I just play one on. Never mind. It was some kind of resuscitator thingy or something, isn't it? Well, I, I think it's something that had to do with the blood because he talks about having to recycle the blood or cycle the blood through the body until the heart takes over. I Sure. Yeah, because the doc then, he says it would take some special spinal surgery to make this work, and he he's not sure that the doc wants to do it, but he'll think about it. At this point, the doc is worried about Bill because we have a voiceover saying that he's thinks that there's something maybe wrong with Bill, but... Of course, he's going to help him. You think? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the doc, you know, he's got that fatherly figure. He, even though something's wrong, I'm still going to help my, my son. So we go back to the lab and this time we're going to duplicate a rabbit. And one thing I thought was interesting at this point, and I don't know if it had to do with the fact that now we're duplicating live things but there was a whole new process to the duplication because they introduced this box that um, bill walks up from behind and sticks his hand in the box that goes into the gloves and he starts you know making connections in this box which we hadn't seen for any of the things before so i don't know where that came from and i don't know if that had to do with the the fact that we're now doing live animals but, yeah it's, it's a leap <laughs> Now we've get uh, he you know he's got the rabbit we do the whole full power thing and the jukeboxes flash 
the original bunny, the doc lets him and the bunny scampers away. We get the duplicated bunny who's just kind of looks very lifeless in Bill's hands, takes him over to the table and he puts on this little headset on it. It's got this like spike on it that attaches to the rabbit. And then we turn on the auto injector pump type thing. And I'm guessing this is where circulating the blood until the rabbit's heart starts beating. Then we see the, the heart does start beating and the rabbit's eyes open. And, you know, now we got the, the doc holding this um, bandaged bunny because the spikes now removed from its head. And Bill says, we've done it. We're now ready for the next step. Well, doc, we've done it. You've done it, Bill. We, I, what's the matter? Isn't the secret simple? Just pump the blood through the veins till the creature's own heart pump begins to work in sympathy. Bill, I beg of you, now that you've got it, don't do anything hasty. It's a terrible secret, an immense responsibility. No one really should know about it. I myself don't want to know what modifications you've made to your original autojector. Believe me, Doc, I'm not interested in turning out rabbits by the million. Leave that to nature. I think you know why I've done all this. I think you know. And you'll help me, won't you? No, but I won't. I can't help you. I can't. You'll have to do it yourself. Well, a little while later, Lena returns to town without Robin. Uh, Robin has decided to stay in London a little bit longer to work things out with the government on the reproducer. Bill, he's still got that the bunny in his hands when he's telling Lena that he's got something else that he wants to do and needs her help. They go, <laughs> which was kind of creepy that he still had that rabbit. I will love it and squeeze it and hug it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they go off for a walk and we get another voiceover from the doc saying that this conversation is deeply troubling both of them. Bill finally opens up to Lena, ha- tells how he feels about her. Although that she picked Robin all the way back into when they were dueling with the wooden swords, he still has feelings for her, and he's got a way that he can now make another Lena. And That's not creepy at all. No. no. <laughs> Lena goes and talks to the doc because I guess she has medical questions about the procedure, and he tells her that there will be no danger that everything about her, including her memories, would be duplicated. And at this point, I'm thinking, well, if it's even memories, I'm guessing feelings, too. So he's just going to create another person that's in love with Robin. But, oh, well. (laughs) Spoilers much? Spoiler. (laughs) The doc tells Lena, or no, Lena kind of figures out, well, it would just be like having a twin sister. She seems so, I mean, everybody... Oh, just have, it'd be like having a twin. You know, I'm tw- okay. 28 years old, and all of a sudden now I have a twin. No problem. <laughs> I'll hop in your magic jukebox. Like, there's no hesit. There's not enough hesitation here for me. It just uh. yeah, because it, it it can't be more than 20 minutes when she finally comes back and says tells Bill that she she'll do it. Bill's there in the lab. She and the doc walk into the into the barn, and without saying anything, she just kind of nods, and Bill gets his big smile they wheel out get they obviously got some bigger jukeboxes to fit the uh, lena in we go through the whole rigmarole boom we've got two lenas the doc <laughs> I, I thought it was it was great because the doc takes 
Lena one and immediately her face is away from the camera and he walks her back to the back of the set and lays her down. So you can't see her anymore. And then Bill takes Lena two out of her place and puts her in what looks like an old barber's chair. (laughs) And then, um, he <laughs> he pulls out these the headset that the rabbit was wearing a lot bigger version of this and I and when it happened I looked at Tracy and I said it's medieval Beats by Dre because <laughs> 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 it's got these big spikes in it so he puts them and it, it does it looks like headphones because there's pieces that fit over her ears and then there's these two spikes that go right into the back of her neck the doc is back at this point they fire up the auto injector again circulating the blood. Her heart starts beating, and now we have uh, Lena Two waking up in the in the barber chair. We get a we get a quick scene of with Lena One outside of the barn. They look in and they see Lena Two sitting up from the chair, and uh, the doc asks Lena, "Do you want to go inside?" And she's not ready to to meet the twin. She doesn't dare, but she does want to look and see what's going on. I don't want to be in the train wreck. I just want to look at it. <laughs> I want that on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. That's awesome. So now we get you know, Lena 2, which Bill decides to name Helen. Because. Just because. Just because. I. Where did the name come from? That's what I. I, I don't know because it's different in the book. <laughs> we get a, another voiceover of the doc saying that he's mistakenly calls her. Lena a couple times, but he starts getting better at that. Uh, they find out that she has all the same memories that Lena had up until the point of duplication. And uh, Bill decides that he's going to take Helen on holiday. And Doc uh, still is really concerned about the whole thing. We hear another voiceover, but uh, he doesn't really know why. But he's still concerned about the whole thing. We get scenes of Bill and Helen frolicking on the beach and having a picnic but Helen, at times, she seems kind of distant. Several days pass. You know, Bill's trying to talk to her. Helen's kind of quiet and introverted. And she's still wearing her previous wedding ring. That got duplicated as well. Seems strange that you never wanted me to take this ring off. Perhaps because it's part of you. Until I give you mine. They um, go back to the beach. They're having another picnic, and uh, Helen decides to go for a swim. She goes for a very long swim, continues going away from the beach. Bill looks up from his little sandwich he's eating and panics because she's continuing to swim out, thinking that she's trying to kill herself. And uh, so he dives in and, and brings her back to shore. Bill sends a telegram to the doc saying, I need help. Please come and see us. So the doc shows up. Bill says that he's scared because Helen has attempted suicide. And he asks the doc to talk to her. The world that this movie (laughs) expects us to believe in. (laughs) We learn that, man, go ahead. (laughs) We, uh, the doc talks to Helen. Uh, We, um, that Helen admits that uh, she's got feelings for Robin because, you know, she's completely duplicate of Lena. Even when she first opened her eyes, she was not thinking of Bill. She was thinking of Robin. You know, that makes you feel pretty bad for Bill because even if he creates his own girlfriend, they're not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Doc talks to Bill and tells him 
the happiness that he's feeling isn't right. Bill says that he's only ever wanted two things in life, knowledge and Lena. You know, he's he's failed with, with Lena because um, he knows Helen has now got the, the feelings for Robin as well. And he's got to do something about it. What's he going to do? <laughs> that's that's like, you can't just fix that. Oh, yes, can you can. You? Yes, you can. Because thoughts are just electricity, right? Yeah, or right. just energy, right? Just energy. And what can you do with energy? You can take energy away. So what are we going to do? We're going to erase her memory. With science. <laughs> with science. <laughs> they go back to the lab. <laughs> how far? Are we, how, we're almost to the end. Are we going to go all the way to the end? This doesn't end well. No. There's a reason why we saw the, bur- the barn all burned out at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, we, uh, we have this scene where Bill is attempting to take the memories away from Helen. She's all strapped in to this electric chair. They put probes on her and <laughs> give her a temple <laughs> massage. <laughs> About this time, in a, a stroke of wonderful timing, Robin comes back to town <laughs> and he shows up at Doc's place. The doc tells him that uh, Lena's been duplicated, that uh, Helen is the duplicate. The two girls with Bill are all out at the barn. They run out there. Bill is finished up with the electroshock therapy, removes the tongs from the from Helen's head, and she wakes up. We see that she's does she have the no memories? Alina's watching this too. Nobody notices that the the wiring has stressed out. A fire is started. Bill, you know, shouts a warning to Lena to get out. Uh, she gets away from the cabinet just as it explodes, and then the fire breaks out. Doc and Robin show up. That's <laughs> it, Batman and Robin. Doc and Robin show up <laughs> to see the, the building in flames with the f- fire brigade there getting ready to put it out, and one uh, woman is pulled out of uh, the fire. We don't know, since it's a duplicate, we don't know who this is. So uh, the next scene, we're at the hospital, and the doc tells Robin that either Lena or Helen, whichever it is, is not hurt, but she has no memories. And the doctor says, I don't know if it's because of what Bill was trying to do or if it was an accident in the fire. The only way that we're going to know is to look at the back of her neck to see if those medieval beats by Dre uh, left the, uh, <laughs> the scars there. So they go in, the doc examines the woman, finds out that there is no scars. So it must be Lena. Lena smiles at Robin and credits roll. And that's four-sided triangle, the movie. Now, the main differences that I wanted to touch on from the book. Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, we get the voiceover. It's told from the doc. But as the book is starting, the boys are already adults. We don't have any of the the kids or anything. The doc has taken care of of Bill. The doc gets a call late one night. This young woman has moved into the town, and she's renting this this small place. The, The person that rented it to her is also sort of like the housekeeper for the place. And she's discovered that the woman is non-responsive. So the doc rushes and treats her and finds out that she has attempted suicide 
and he brings her out of it, saves her, and uh, the doc then spends a lot of time with Lena. Lena's this free spirit that wants to try everything, but she's also very artistic, but she can't produce anything on her own. She's real into music, but she can only play things. She's, when she tries to write anything of her own, she fails, but she can play other people's stuff. She's tried to, to paint, but she can mimic other people's styles, but she doesn't have a style of her own. So she sees herself as a failure in a lot of these things. And then she decides that she wants to try suicide just to see what it feels like. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the doctor saves her and the doctor realizes that this woman needs some direction in her life. So she decide, or the doc decides that he is going to have her meet Bill. Since Bill, he's taking care of Bill all Bill's life and he's basically trying to fix Bill up. Because Bill, you know, he's, he's there in the barn doing his experiments the whole time. He has no life. This woman needs some direction. Let's put them together. The doc... Talks to Lena, says, I'm going to bring somebody over tomorrow night. You know, we'll have, have dinner and uh, you'll meet Bill. Bill, at first, is not interested in all because it's taking away time from his work that he's doing. But the doc convinces him to go. They go. They open the they knock on the door. No answer. Uh, the door is open. They walk in. And Lena comes out of the bedroom completely naked just to see what happens to shock them. They end up having dinner. Bill and Helen hit it off really well. They start talking uh, about literature and science and art, and it completely goes over the doc's head really quick. The doc ends up leaving. Middle of the night, Bill shows back up at the doc's house saying what a wonderful time he had with, with Lena and that she's just this amazing, amazing creature and thanks the doc for setting him up because at first he wasn't that interested in it, but he just had this wonderful time. The next day the doc goes and meets with Lena again and the doc finds out through conversation that Lena is broke. She has no money whatsoever. She can't even afford the cottage that she's staying in. She has no food or anything. The doc gets the idea of taking her out to the, the barn to meet, uh, the boys and see if they could use a housekeeper to earn some money. And that's how she gets in and meets Robin. And then the, the, the book and the movie are similar in their path. They end up duplicating her. The duplicate in this one is named Dolly. And she actually marries Bill in the, in the book, but she's still in love with Robin because Lena is in love with Robin just says in the movie. Dolly has this breakdown, and she Bill takes her off on holiday vacation to recover. And um, Bill, when they get back, he starts working on a new power generator. The power generator explodes, and it kills him. So now we have Lena, Dolly, and Robin left. Lena has... You know, she's got that sisterly twin feeling, and she tries to convince Robin to accept both her and Dolly. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Robin, not being a red-blooded American, uh, refuses. He only wants Lena. A couple weeks later, Lena and Dolly are out on a river. There's an accident, and one of them dies, and the other is seriously injured. 
So the doc and Robin, they go to the hospital. They discover that the surviving woman can't recall anything after the duplication. So the doc is uh, thinking that maybe she's repressing memories of, of what happened. So she must be Dolly. But Dr. Harvey had found early on about Bill's notes about the, the marks the auto injector had made in the neck. So they look and there's no marks. So Robin is convinced that the survivor is Lena, not the duplicate. So they go off happily ever after, unless you count the epilogue where we have another voiceover, I guess, from the, the doc, because he tells the reader that Bill had to- left him a note that while Bill and Dolly were off on one of their vacations, she got some plastic surgery to remove the uh, scars on the back of her neck. So you, Spoiler. Don't, you don't know which <laughs> girl is now with, with Robin, and that's the end of the book. What did you like better, the, mo- the movie or the book, Scott? I, I liked the book better. I liked the more free-spirited of Lena. She was a stronger character. I also liked the ambiguous ending, where you don't know which woman that um, Robin is now with. And in the movie, you're to- basically told you're with, she's with, he's with Lena and everybody's going to live happily ever after. But I like the more ambiguous ending of the book. Would you say that the characters are more fleshed out in the book? Not a whole lot more, but yes, a little more. I mean, I think it also helps the fact that you know, you're reading the book and you, as you're building the characters up in your mind, you infuse them with some of your own ideas that always happens to me when I'm reading a book anyway. Overall thoughts on the movie itself from all of us. What did, what did you guys think of the movie? For me, the movie, the best word I can come up with is bland. It's not great. It's not bad. I probably won't be revisiting it. There was a lot of things that uh, I liked. I really liked the the sets. I really liked some of the camera angles. I really liked when Bill, the first time he's doing the duplication on the rabbit, and he's put his hands in that box. There's a scene where it's, he's being lit from below and the camera is, is shooting up at him. And that's when he really looks kind of mad scientist-y. I liked that. The characters themselves, as we've said before, very bland, not, not very well-developed, which obviously hurts the film quite a bit. I didn't like Barbara Payton. I, I didn't think she brought anything to the role. The, the one character that I liked the, the most was probably Bill, Stephen Murray, because at least he had a little bit of, of, of change because he was very strongly work-driven, but then his love of Lena was sort of driving him insane. So I, I did like that. But other than that, it's just, eh, it's about the best thing I can say about it. I was not far behind Scott. I had a hard time getting through this movie in parts because it's very dry. It's very bland. There is everything. I think to me, everything in this movie feels paper thin. There's absolutely no depth. There's no depth to characters. There's not really a whole lot of depth to the plot. It's all just right there on the surface. It's just not a very exciting movie to me. And everything they try and do, like I 
can appreciate the mad scientist aspect they went through with the into the barn and everything, but it just felt superficial. Because since there's nothing to make us sink our teeth into these guys doing this science, we don't really care that they're doing it. Whereas, like in Frankenstein, we see Peter Cushing run around doing this stuff. We're pretty into it because we know the background of the doctor, and we are. He sells it much better and makes it look more authentic, and it's far more exciting to watch him doing it because you got more of an emotional investment to it to see what he's going to come up with where these guys they're going to do all this stuff and there's a whole lot of bang whiz pop wow you know flashing lights and stuff like that and then they just pick up a you know a pocket watch and say say and say look we made this and you're kind of eh, who cares there was some opportunity to go with something very deep and very sci-fi-ish with where they were going with the lena helen duplication things like that but then once they we get Helen out of the duplicator they don't do anything with her and it's again all very superficial where they could have gone much deeper with it agreed I'm uh, I'm on both of your pages as well it, I recognize the importance of the movie I feel like there are some things that happening in this that were needed to have happened in order for Hammer to become the Hammer that most people know you know, you got Terrence Fisher doing sci-fi. You've got some crazy science things going on here. Some very pre-pseudo Frankenstein, Frankenstein type stuff happening. But overall, it feels a lot more like a homework assignment and less like uh, an enjoyable film that I'm going to go back and watch again and again. I don't feel like there is a lot to really draw me back to the film. It's interesting to look at British sci-fi of the 50s because here in the States – our sci-fi, especially mid to late 50s, as much as I love a lot of it, and, and there are exceptions, of course, we got a little goofy with it. A lot of it was kiddie fair. A lot of it was designed for the drive-in market, whereas a lot of the sci-fi from the from the, the UK from the 50s gets very heady. And the problem is with this one, it gets too heady, and it doesn't really give us an enjoyable story, you know, that we're going to go back to over and over again. It almost feels preachy in spots. It ends with another quote, this one from Ralph Waldo Emerson. You shall have joy and you shall have power, said God. You shall not have both. I mean, wow. I mean, that's, that's not a very uplifting sci-fi kind of I, – I don't know. It just feels a little preachy, a little flat. I'm glad we finally watched the movie and kind of got it out of our systems, but – it didn't do much for me. I think I'm speaking for all three of us. It's not replacing anything on our top five, right? No. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, you're bringing up the comparison to the U.S. sci-fi films of the 50s. Uh, one thing now that I'm, I didn't make the connection of, of that in my mind, but now I'm thinking, you know, I'm kind of surprised that there was no mention of nuclear power in their lab because that seemed to be the, the go-to thing in a lot of 50s movies, you know, right after World War II. True. They're also very quick to let the government in on their gig. Yes. Which doesn't feel like something they would do in, in at least later 50s sci-fi in the U.S. Because you're starting to get into you know the Cold War era coming up in the 60s and the 70s. I don't know. Yeah, you don't I'm have sure any, there are – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say you don't have any KGB guys snooping around the barn trying to <laughs> steal this. <laughs> yeah, it just seems very eh. – it don't, didn't do a lot for me. Like I said, I recognize the importance, and I see the building blocks, the puzzle pieces for what the hammer we know and love would become, but it just didn't do much for me. Well, if you are interested in 
watching it yourself, Hammer did upload this to YouTube. You can find it on YouTube, and it is on uh, archive.org, which seems kind of odd since it's not in the public domain. It's also a special feature on the Curse of Frankenstein Blu-ray release. It's just a bare-bones special feature for the uh, for this particular movie. It's a great Blu-ray with some great stuff for Curse of Frankenstein, but you know the movie's kind of thrown on there. And I'm not really sure why that is. Scott and I were talking off mic uh, earlier this week about you know why it was released that way versus its own independent release, or at least on a I don't know it was released on DVD here in the states by itself at one point. I don't know who has the rights to what anymore <laughs> when it comes to Hammer, who has the distribution rights. So maybe that's why it had to be released on YouTube and as part of a Blu-ray versus an actual standalone edition. I don't know. Well, I can now that having watched it. I can see maybe where it makes a little more sense to be included with Curse of Frankenstein because you can see the building blocks for Curse of Frankenstein in this film. The the lab, the creation of life, everything. So I can I know it's a stretch, but I can see it. Well that was four sided triangle. Finally off the bucket list. <laughs> Thanks listeners for voting in our listener pick month. And I'm sure we're going to do it again in twenty fifteen. Hopefully it's not Vengeance of She, but it will be... um, (laughs) Oh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. (laughs) We'll be doing that again next year. We appreciate everybody taking the time to head out to our Facebook group and voting. We really appreciate that. So what do we have upcoming for 1951 Down Place? What's next month? Next Uh, month, uh, for August, we have 1964's Nightmare, directed by uh, Freddie Francis. So this is post the gothic horror boom for Hammer. We're kind of into the, in addition to some of the gothics that he kept doing up through the 70s, we're kind of in the psychological thriller suspense era. I'm not familiar with the movie at all. I've never seen it. So, Yeah, the movie poster says, three shocking murders. Did she dream them or do them? Wait a minute. There's three of us. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) But that's in August, and then we're going to, I think, do our first Hammer comedy in September, as we're going to watch Man About the House, which a lot of us here in the States will know as Three's Company. This is Sort of. Sort of. This film was based on a television show, which when the television show was brought to the U.S. became Three's Company. A sitcom that ran from 1973 to 1976 in the UK was adapted as uh, the classic sitcom over here. We'll see what happens with that one. I'm curious. And then for October, we'll have a little uh, Oliver Reed werewolf action for you. Can one really have just a little <laughs> Oliver Reed? No. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're going to do the Curse of the Werewolf, which I'm really looking forward to since I'm a big fan of Oliver Reed. It's a completely different kind of Wolfman movie. It's not your traditional werewolf. Just putting that out there. Cool. I'm still looking forward to it. And then November, which is my birthday month, we're going to finish off the Quatermass trilogy with my favorite, Quatermass in the Pit. And in December, we're doing Vengeance of Shit. We'll see. Vengeance of Shit. (laughs) (laughs) But that puts us through the rest of the year. I haven't decided what my birthday pick will be yet. I'll, I'll come up with something. So if you want to get in touch with the show, you can give us a call at area code 765-203-1951. 
Now, that is a Google Voice line number, and the one thing you need to know is it will cut you off at three minutes. It will cut you at so, the three-minute mark. So if you have more than three minutes of stuff that you would like to tell us, you can send us an email at podcast at 1951downplace.com, or if you have the ability, you can record your own MP3 for whatever length that you want and send it to podcast at 1951downplace.com. Uh, yeah, whatever length that you want is pretty wide open. I think if somebody wants to send us an hour-long voicemail, that would be less work on a show for us. <laughs> you got to be careful with that because we do have listeners that will do that. <laughs> <laughs> You can uh, also find us in Facebook. Uh, just do a search for 1951 Downplace in Facebook, and you can join uh, the discussion over there as well. Yeah, we have a group and a page. If you're a Facebook user, we do ask that you like us on Facebook. Uh, it helps with the metrics and how Facebook promotes things here and there. And then the group is where you can have conversations with listeners of the show between episodes. And we have a Twitter page as well. Casey maintains that. You can find us. It's pretty easy to find. 1951 Downplace on Twitter. And, of course, you can find all three of us on our home podcast, Scott's at Disney, Indiana, Casey's at Bloody Good Horror, and I'm at Monster Kid Radio. So anything else you want guys want to say about four-sided triangle? I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick to the three-sided variants. <laughs> <laughs> this is why geometry is important, kids. So stay in school. <laughs> Math is hard. Triangle man, triangle man, triangle man hates particle man. They have a fight, triangle wins, triangle man.